Rex, did you know that on January 18th, 1967, the original Batman television show ran an episode where the Joker turned all of Gotham City's water supply into strawberry jelly? I wasn't quite around yet, but I love the Adam West show. I, I kind of wonder if our guest, Kristen DeMoranville, um, a cybersecurity practitioner who specializes in food sector protection, has ever, you know, considered this very, very realistic possibility. Uh, you know, that's what that's that's my question. Uh, that show didn't run for that long. So I love that idea that they were already jumping the shark with like <laughs> pre- pre- preposterous you know, they could have just done a kidnapping or like a bank robbery, right? In, instead, they're already going to the Jello, <laughs> the, yeah. the water supply to Jello. It's I, fantastic. Like, I, I do like that they use strawberry jelly because that is the best jelly. Um, <laughs> and uh, that was season two, Jack. I think it ran for four or five years. That was season okay. two. It was the only time I watched that show. Was when I was sick as a kid. That was just happy. I don't know what the, the, the people in suburban New Jersey were thinking that like, this is what people who are home at 10 a.m. on a Monday, <laughs> they want to watch two episodes back to back of a show that, you know, of, of this, this is what they want. This is what they give the people what they want. Um, yeah. They were, yeah, exactly. Uh, but look, I mean, the, the concept of water safety, food security is huge. And, you know, it, the government is approaching it. The federal government is approaching it from a whole bunch of sectors. And, and we'll ask our guest about that about that today, but there was a, um, the EPA had put out, the Environmental Protection Agency had put out a memorandum earlier in the spring that would have required the public water systems to include cybersecurity as part of these periodic system audits that they have to do. Um, But they yanked it up, they yanked it away uh, in October because Missouri, Arkansas, and Iowa challenged it. Right. So this idea that the EPA was trying to, to make auditing the cybersecurity uh, a, a big part of it. But but there was a lot of pressure from the industry to, to pull back on it. I, I don't think the industry said cybersecurity isn't important. I think it was just we don't have maybe the resources to do this. Right. Is this is it unusual for, for someone? But when, because, I mean, you're in the law world. Yeah. Like once somebody challenges to say, eh don't really want to land in court here. Uh, let me rethink this. Yeah, I, it's not, right? So I think when when it, there's a difference between a rule, a regulation, and there's guidance, okay. and each of them has, has different legal standing uh, uh, and, and harder or easier on that spectrum to, to okay. create an actual challenge in court. But what happened here was there were two pretty powerful and I think considered reasonable industry um, players, the American Water Works and the National Rural uh, Water Association that um, were at least quoted in a couple of the, the sort of public articles on this one, apart from the legal challenge that the states made. What they were basically saying was, look, um, let's have this be a collaborative approach, an industry-driven approach like has happened in other sectors. It doesn't have to be sort of a static um, requirement. I mean, fair enough, right, Rex? I mean, in the work that Cyber Florida does with municipalities around the state, right, it's abundantly clear that there's different levels of resources available. And it's not a great idea to continue to impose from Washington, like a, a very specific way of doing an audit that, I don't know, I'm just guessing here, 80% of, you know, uh, you know, water treatment plants can't touch. They just can't, they can't hope to, right? Why are we starting out with an auditing requirement that, nobody will do. And 
there's also that thing where, okay, if you want to require us to do something, maybe give us some funding to do it. Okay. Right? You can't just write it. Like if I ask my kids, like every morning I want, um, uh, you know, I want ham, eggs, bacon prepared for me. They would say, even if we were to accept this, dad, give me a budget to go purchase ham, eggs and bacon. Right. I don't have, I'm a child. I don't have the budget to do it now. That maybe oversimplifies it, but that's a little bit, I think, of what was going on here. Okay. Um, there's this concept of like, we have these sanitary checks we, that has to, has to be done for these water utilities. But, oh, yeah, by the way, also make sure you do a, a, a cybersecurity audit. And, and they're like, well, okay, with what people, with what money, with what time? Help me okay, this. got it. That makes a lot of sense. So going to the courts and saying, hey, or challenging this legally, it, it not only slows it down, but it's a path to say, all right, let's let's get to the negotiating yeah. table because we at the end of the day, everybody wants the same thing. Right. Nice, safe, clean water. Yeah. And I think the legal challenges come through the states or even the municipalities directly. Anybody who would have to expend resources to comply, you know, they would argue that they have the ability to, to seek uh, a legal opinion from the court or, or a legal ruling from the court uh, on these rights. But then there's also industry conversations that are happening with the regulators, both through the states and through these other industry organizations. And I think where it ended up, and there's a, there's a, a quote from um, uh, at least, a, a, I think the article on cybersecurity dive, or maybe it was dark reading, but one of the, one of the quotes was from uh, uh, Evgeny uh, Goncharov, who's the head of Kaspersky's group that works with these sort of infrastructure um, sections. Uh, he, he said something about water utility infrastructure is something not that easy to secure because of its diverse and distributed nature. I mean, that's a very, right, that's a good point. It's not like it's a concentrated, it's not as if we're, we're mining uranium in, in, a, in a secure facility, right? It's, it's water's everywhere. Um, but what he also said was there's lots of small and mid-sized objects equipped with different OT systems by multiple vendors, normally outdated, his words, <laughs> with various type remote connection. So think about anything in the water supply chain, which is rivers, estuaries, underground things, right? You've got drilling going on on either side. You've got garbage dumps around it. You've got all sorts of inputs and you've got sensors that are often, um, there's a great documentary from maybe 25 years ago called Fast, Cheap and Out of Control. And it's about robots among other things. But a lot of the inputs to the water supply are not highly sophisticated things. They're little environmental sensors that are low cost, so you can put a lot of them out there. And when you have something that's low cost and widely distributed, like, you know, if you think about like the hackability of like a really simple computer, like a Raspberry Pi, right? That's very different from what you could protect in an office infrastructure environment. And so there's a lot of inputs that are in this distributed um, sort of network that are connected to each other that are really hard to secure. The fact that they're hard to secure should terrify us which is probably why the EPA was trying to take this action. But at the other hand, you don't want to create a mandate that on day one, all will be, all will be in breach of. So it really, um, it, it, you know, we should pay a close attention to it, but we can't, um, we can't fix cybersecurity auditing requirements that you know, without, I think, funding them appropriately in a way that, uh, with, you know, what the EPA is trying to do is let's get some data out there from the auditing process and let's look at it and decide what, where we should fund or where we should have further regulation. But, you know, it is a little scary that the industry can't do the auditing, um, given how, how 
how scary it is, uh, what's going on. But anyway, you're seeing some, I think you're seeing some public dialogue between the regulated entities and, and the EPA, and hopefully it'll turn into something. Now, the USDA at the ultimately and the FDA might have other portions of, of where this where that water ends up. They might have their own regulations. And so you're going to see cybersecurity standards at manufacturing facilities or, or food facilities. And we'll have a couple of questions, I think, for Kristen about that today. Yeah, what a perfect topic for a perfect guest. All right. Well, I'm your host, Jack Clabby. I'm a cybersecurity attorney at Carlton Fields, PA. Uh, with me today is Rex Wilson. Rex is from Cyber Florida. He's the producer of the No Password or Crime podcast, and his voice should be familiar to a lot of our listeners from participating in some of our games and uh, doing some of the raps for the program. Uh, he's uh, filling in today for Kaylee Melton, who's the usual co-host, uh, who's the vice president of U.S. remote publishing teams at No Before. Just a little under the weather today, so we hope she's feeling better. I want to thank Rex for filling in. So we're going to take a short break, um, and after that, we'll chat with Kristen uh, Demaranville. She's the CEO and the founder of Anzen Sage. She's a woman whose knowledge of primates has served her well, even beyond her time at the Louisville Zoo. We'll be right back. Welcome to No Password Required, a monthly conversation that introduces you to some of the top talent in the world of cybersecurity. Welcome back. Our guest is Kristen uh, Demaranville. Kristen, welcome to the No Password Required podcast. Thanks, Jack. It's great to be here. All right. Well, I want to dive into your career and your cybersecurity life. But first, I have to ask, how did your knowledge of primates help you in your cybersecurity life? Sure. Um, just a little bit of background, because that seems very ominous. Um, I, I have a degree in environmental management. It, I kind of focus on more conservation side and uh, behavioral ecology. It was sort of like almost a minor, but I didn't actually qualify for a minor because it didn't exist at that university. But okay. I did all that extra work. Um, I ended up working with uh, an emeritus professor at the Louisville Zoo when I was studying gorillas. So we were studying cortisone levels and bachelor troops just decide if they could live together without killing wow. each other, literally. Wow. So um, I watched four um, male gorillas for almost two years, and wow. it was amazing. Probably the best job I ever had with no money, like wow. didn't pay nothing. And it was great. And watching people watch gorillas was such an education, especially when coming into cybersecurity, because a lot of what we do is mitigating risk through behaviors yeah. or understanding behaviors to mitigate risk. I mean, it's either way. So I was on a, um, I was on a factory tour in Malaysia. It was an electronics factory. I'll just leave it at that. I, I'm winking. So everybody knows. Um, <laughs> and, um, it was, um, it was amazing. It was the, probably my favorite factory I've ever been to. And I probably shouldn't have favorites, but there it is. Um, it was just because of the people. So we're doing a perimeter walk because in an extended security assessment, especially, you need to make sure the physical security is intact. That means checking okay. cameras. That means making sure guards are there. What's going on with the fence is high enough. Um, picking up the Wi-Fi at a toll booth on the outside of the building <laughs> is probably not a good thing. Um, those kind of things. Some people really embrace the walk. I call it the walk around the building, but others do not. Um, various countries do not like it when I have shown up and done that. But this one in particular was really nice. It was so hot out, walking around. And I said, oh, I noticed you're upgrading your cameras. You're going from like the slender um, 
box ones to the round, you know, really cool circle ones. Okay. And the guy's like, yeah, but we're having a lot of trouble with it. I said, what's going on? And he goes, we've got a pest problem. I said, you have a pest problem. And he's like, yeah, we have a monkey problem. So I didn't, <laughs> I didn't bat a lash. I didn't do anything. I just, I just listened. And he said, yeah, the monkeys have been chewing the cables of the, the cameras. So okay. we were trying to figure out how we have to protect them because we're losing money ultimately. And it's frustrating because we can't fix them. So I said, well, is it the problem fixed now? They're like, yeah, of course it is. And I said, did you capture the the male primary alpha in the group and move them off like several miles? And then the females dispersed. And he went, yeah, how did you know that? And I said, <laughs> oh, I worked with primates. I said, I, I, I understand this background. I mean, they were just patas monkeys. So it's like super cute. But um, they're the <laughs> ones with the really long tails. And um, it was just really interesting. And it was like, I won the hearts and minds of that factory instantly because I understood <laughs> their ailments of pest issues with monkeys. And, oh. and I also was that tourist that I'd be in various locations where monkeys would be climbing all over shrines and stuff. And I'd be like, don't stand there. No. Okay. All right. You stood there. That's what happens. Like <laughs> they get urinated all over. Cause I can't even tell you how many times I was in the gorilla house and the boys would just be like, peeing every direction at me <laughs> so that also informed my cybersecurity career because i do feel like everybody kind of does that for territory as well so i feel like you know it's really informed me quite a bit <laughs> that's awesome i have to ask her how did you from this sort of intense interest in your college career right how did you um pivot from that to i guess we'll call it full-time cyber how did that sure. evolution happen um, I originally started in IT before the market crashed in 2008, 09, whatever it was. Um, that lovely time when all of us still kind of cringe when we think about it. Uh, I just decided to go straight back to school as an adult learner because I wanted to finish my degree. I had bounced around universities from leaving high school um, on a few. I think actually technically I graduated from my fourth because I just couldn't settle on something I liked. I wasn't vested enough yet. Yep. I've, I mean, I literally went from like... American history to literature to, I don't know, whatever I did. Um, but I think I was in liberal arts for a hot minute too. It, I mean, it just depends. So I decided that I was going to get a degree in something I didn't have anything to do with my career. And I ended up in environmental management, which is hilarious because I took a course called environmental technology and there was a crap ton of technology. That's how I kind of really started my OT career, like OT security career, is because I was already surrounded by all that stuff, like water treatment facilities and dams and uh, trash and everything else. Um, it really became this kind of cosmic joke in a way because I was like, great, I, I accidentally picked something I'm going to use eventually yeah. later on in my career. <laughs> and I didn't know it at the time. Um, when I finished school, I did, I was a five-year adult learner. Okay. I was like, oh crap, student loans are coming back. Thanks United States. Um, so I have to go work. And the only skill I had was my IT skill. And, um, when I left the IT world, I was an IT director and I had to humble myself and start back as an analyst. Okay. That was like really gutting, like in your early thirties, mm -hmm. like, yeah. whoa, like, here we go. So I, I started in this bakery company. I literally started from the bottom. Now we're here story, literally. Um, and I, I learned how to work in a factory. I learned how to deal with people. I learned, the, you know, baptism by fire in a lot of ways. Uh, it was really kind of amazing. And my, I just got kept getting promoted. And then um, the gentleman who I'm actually engaged with was became my boss at one point. Yes, he was my boss. Everybody knows this. <laughs> it's not like a secret. So um, it's a good uh, way to meet. It's a good way to meet people. 
Yeah, I was America. sitting in my old cubicle because I was actually I was commuting between Boston and Atlanta for a while. And um, he was sitting in my old cubicle and we just got talking and he's like, hey, have you ever thought about security? And I'm like, no, those guys are jerks. They just come in, they drop a problem and they leave. Like, I don't want to be involved in that, even though I was already doing all the security stuff anyways. I just hadn't like put the title security on my life yet. Um, And I was like, no, I don't want to do this. And he's like, well, okay, well, you should think about it. What else are you going to do? I'm like, well, I could do database management because that sounds fun. And not that I'm knocking anybody. I just don't think I want to be like in a small room or in a cubicle for the rest of my life. Okay. Um, so it wasn't until the third time he finally put the job offer in front of me and I saw the salary and went, yep, sign. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that's how it started. And it was really funny because um, six months into the role, he actually left for another organization. And I was stuck being the senior security leader within this bakery company. We had our first massive preach. And I'll never oh, forget no. sitting with the corporate lawyer who's still a friend of mine to this day. And he's like, you're the only one. You're it. You're the only one. I only want I trust to do this and deal with it. So here's the crisis crash team coming in and you got to get ready. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but thankfully, I knew my business so well. I knew that bakery company so well that it was not a problem. I could switch my mindset very quickly because that's something I learned from watching primates. They're adaptive. Like, yeah, something new gets introduced, like termites. When you put termites as like a snack item into a gorilla's area, they freak out. They're like, (laughs) what is this small thing that's going to destroy my life? But then they take a couple minutes and realize that they're the big and bad ones. And they go over and they eat them. Like, it's fine. Like, just going (laughs) to give it a minute, you know, kind of like hold up. All right, this is scary, but I'm going to enter this anyways and do it. Um, So that's kind of like the roundabout way of how I got into security. And it's sort of just fallen from there and I've done just about every job except for the hacking side. Okay. I know enough to be dangerous and break something and maybe fix it. So I just stay away from that side. <laughs> um, but I respect it and I can speak to it, which is good. Um, and I, so, yeah, I've just had this great career. So as a kid, you must've had a passion for animals like, like I did. Uh, side note, I actually met Jack Hanna at the Columbus zoo when I was a kid. So I was Amazing. pretty much destined to, do that instead of what I'm doing now, I guess. But, you know, once I think I would think that as a kid, once you climb that mountain and you're working, you know, at the zoo and working with animals and getting to do cool things and meet cool people that you would stay there forever. What was the, the thing that made you want to try something else? Money. I had to go because of uh, student loans. There was no way I could sustain a non-paying job and do this. I mean, I did volunteer at the National Zoo in the commissary way back in the day when I first started my um, journey into, like, I guess, zoos, um, which was amazing because it sort of informs me on what I do now because it's all about food safety. So it's it's pretty incredible how, you know, this is why I tell people, like, follow the breadcrumbs of your life because they're seriously going to lead you to where you are right now. It is crazy to think about. Um, I really loved whales, Rex. I I loved whales when I was a kid and I had this kindred spirit with them. It's probably because, you know, my son's line is a Pisces if everybody wants to get weird about it. Um, so I, I really thought that I was going to do, I was going to be an oceanographer. I would tell you that at five years old. And when we, when I was a kid and we go on whale watches, I'd be up telling the naturalist that they got the weight wrong of a whale because I just couldn't stand that someone was wrong about a whale. Um, (laughs) And my poor parents, I swear, they probably lost me on boats all the time. And um, I thought I was like swimming with them at one point. 
So I really thought that my career was going to go there. And then um, life happens and you go through school and you have some horrible people that come into your life, like some teachers and stuff and tell you that you don't know science and you're dumb and that you need to be a housewife and your only value is going to be a mother and all these other things. Um, and I just sort of fell apart with my science career, if you will, even though it's hilarious, I have a science degree now, but, um, so I, I really just kind of didn't go back to it. And it's really great though, that I ended up working with animals anyways, kind of in an accident way, if you will. Um, even though it ended up being gorillas, I'm still really thrilled by that because they're amazing. Kristen, it's one thing to take on the role of the information security professional. It's another thing to start your own thing, right? So what, what led you to found Anzen Sage? Like, how did you come to that decision and, and what was that like? Sure. Um, uh, earlier this year, January, I've actually only had the company open and living for the last 10 months, almost 11 months now. Um, I really had this moment where I started to see we were doing a service to our customers or our clients in consulting as a whole. And I'm not picking on any consulting firm specifically. Um, I want to make that clear in case somebody wants to come for me. Um, but... I really feel like we, we do too much broadness. We're too generalized. And I think in, in industri- and sorry, industrial environments, specifically more um, critical infrastructure, we need to be specialized. Now, we've done a great job in oil and gas and automotive, right? Those are good. Like, we've actually got standards. Things are working. People are talking same common language. It's beautiful, right? But we kind of forgot about water and food in a way. Um, and that's super frustrating to me. I know I need to eat. I'm sure all of you need to eat. I like my family to continue eating, but it has to be safe food for everyone and keep the supply chain safe. Um, something I learned in my environmental classes, obviously, is that everything is a cycle. We have one water cycle. That's it. It's not like we're going to have magical new water that comes from a glacier that melts. That's not how it works. It's all one water. That's it. This is all the water we've got. That's it. It goes up into the atmosphere, comes back down and starts over again. And I think that people need to realize their food cycle is very similar, you know, moving forward. And we keep mucking it up, whether it's, um, I don't know, contamination, unadulterated, adulterated, um, food fraud is a huge problem now. Um, all these other cool food defense things that I could tell you that wouldn't necessarily resonate, but we're really doing a bad job of protecting our food in the long run. Um, we have some amazing people that are on the front lines, but there's nobody really there. So I thought, well, wait a minute. Cybersecurity is part of food protection because the world is digital now, for the most part. And then I've been having conversations with cybersecurity professionals and just other general people, and nobody realizes how automated our food system is or how technology-driven it is and how AI and all that has been there for a really long time. I mean, it, and I always use the example of, we used to push a plow and then we had a horse yeah. in front of it or a cow or whatever. And then all of a sudden now we have automated autonomous tractors. Um, I think we missed like a jump there. So people <laughs> don't make that connection. I was sitting on a podcast not too long ago and he literally thought that everything was done by hand. I was like, you think that what, what? <laughs> and, I, so our, and cows live in happy red barns, right? And, and he's like, yeah, I mean, that's the great lie, right? Consumers are not supposed to know. So that's what's frustrating for, for me specifically with 
choosing to start Anzen Sage is now I'm combating all this disinformation, misinformation. And I didn't know there was so much of the food industry until just recently. So there's this huge need and uh, there was a gap. There's, I haven't met one consulting firm that's actually doing this um, on just, just straight in a laser focus here. Um, Plenty of generals do it. I mean, I'm sure any security professional could go in and give a list of controls or help give strategy or advise on anything, but have they ever worked in the food industry? Yeah. Have yeah. Ha, I mean, most people in these environments don't want to talk to you unless you have. And I've had that confirmed multiple times. Yeah. But we've got other problems, too, where there's language barriers and there's uh, culture you know, considerations to be made as well because food is so emotional and culturally driven. And there's all these different aspects. And yeah. I spend a lot of time talking to food protection. Um, I love these people. I think that they don't get enough credit for what they do. They see everything and understand everything that's happening in their environment. And it's really, I just want to come alongside and help them like on a personal, like mission level. Like I want to help them. I want to make sure that I can eat safe food. Um, and I want everybody else to eat safe food. So the company was really born out of, uh, going to a conference and having these conversations just kind of on accident. I was just kind of like the token person sent to this conference about food safety and I fell in love with it. And I thought, That's Oh my awesome. God, I've worked at a bakery company. Oh my God, I understand what you're talking about. Oh wow. This makes sense. And so I originally was like, wow, I need to, I need to do something. So after a lot of consideration, after I left my last role, I was like, let's just jump in. Let's just try, you know? And that's why I started, you know, my podcast bites and bites um, because I wanted to have those conversations between cybersecurity and food protection because clearly we're not talking like this is very clear and it's yeah. very stressful for them because they're not getting the support they need to keep themselves safe too. So it, it just became this huge thing underneath me. It's like a movement really. Um, and I don't mean to sound so dramatic, but it does feel that way quite often because again, it's food. Yeah. I mean, I think so much of what you say resonates with what I see in my practice, right? But I'm working with clients and the clients are trying to hire specialized folks to work with them on their industry and they get frustrated because, you know, we'll talk to a vendor and they'll say, you know, have you ever done this? And it's whatever their industry is. And they'll say, we do all industries, no problem. But there really is a difference between the education industry, mm-hmm. banking industry, right? And then when you get into critical infrastructure, like it really is different. A company that's importing a product from South America to the US that's going to be consumed by human beings versus a company that makes something that's not ever going to travel outside the borders and will never go inside a human body. Like it, yep. it really is radical. And I think, do, do you think that this is that this specialization is the future? You mentioned oil and gas, right? As one other industry where it's already happening. But do you think we're going to see specialization for, for lack of a better word, cyber consulting in, in other industries? Yeah, I think so. Um, okay. my, my gut instinct, and I've had a few conversations about this as well, that um, people are uh, tired of the generalization. They need that specialization, like you just said. But on top of that, it's the price, right? The big four charges so much. And again, I'm not picking on them. They do what they yeah. do, and they've been doing what they're doing for a long time and will continue. But what about like a medium-sized food company that's doing refrigerating, refrigerated food at a airport, right? Yeah. They don't have millions to drop on a project for asset management or any type of threat detection, right? Um, yeah. Or any type of advisory, because most of the time it comes down to what's priority. 
and they don't want just a report. They want to have a conversation. They want it to be interactive. Um, they want someone to come in and do a scenario training that has the same knowledge that they do um, and actually do the due diligence and those kind of things. Um, I always use automotive as a really good example. Uh, when they came out with some of those standards, it created a common rhetoric and a common language across all of them. We have done that with oil and gas too, but there's nothing that's in like a, um, uh, a holistic space for food specifically or agriculture specifically. Um, I mean, there's, there is an ag IT, which is great. So that's helping with some different things, but, um, moving forward, I think that we really need to have that kind of deeper conversation of how cybersecurity is part of food protection. We have to continue to have that conversation together. And then I think you're going to see more hybrid roles, especially yeah. in food, where you'll have a cybersecurity professional that's also trained on food safety. doesn't yeah. mean they do a food safety yeah. job. It means they're educated on it. And I think you're going to see more food safety professionals or food protection professionals have more cybersecurity knowledge. They're actually pretty savvy already. So um, it's really quite interesting to have those type of conversations and this, their role, their job, people who make food, grow it or make it or yeah. any of that, you can't get more personal. I had a guest that just said this to me, can't get more personal than that. I am making things that you ingest, can't yeah. get more personal. And that's the part that kind of keep, I keep rotating in my head. Yeah. None of the other critical infrastructure except for water do that. You know, we don't ingest oil if you do, you're weird. And why would you do that? And, you know, things like that. But, like, this is really personal and yeah. it affects everybody. It affects even animals. You know, I, like I said at the yep. zoo when I used to work at the commissary, I learned about food safety there and what, you know, how to cut various fruit because those stupid birds. But those, <laughs> you know, those things were really important to start to know. And I didn't know that you're not supposed to do whatever with this particular vegetable that you don't wash it ahead of time and you have to cut it a certain way. I didn't know that. Um, those kind of things are important at that education level. And they're also not teaching this at a young age at, in schools. And the same with cybersecurity. We're sort of teaching cybersecurity in elementary school, but not really. So um, how do we do that? So where's the blend go with that? So again, like I told you, I'm going down this incredible rabbit hole of like basically why I started my business because there's too many things to do. And it's it's just about communication and constantly talking. Um, I adore working with factories, right? And essentially, I think this is where the, the generalists have trouble. Is a factory is a factory, right? Stuff comes in, a raw product comes in, some stuff happens in between, and then it comes out something different on the other end. So that people assume that's what a factory is, and that's, that's all it is. It's nothing yeah. important. But because it's food, because you have all the regulations and safety factors around it, it's not. Um, yeah. It's not the same as an electronics factory or even a semiconductor factory. Um, they're entirely different, even though factory is still the word, but that's just the general term of saying like car, <laughs> yeah. pet, you know, dog. A, a, a home, right. It's just yeah, a, exactly, it, yeah. exactly. You know, maybe you can't answer this just because your role, but like, what do you think about the role of like the EPA or the FDA making rules that apply generally versus an industry standard that develops by consensus that we all sort of just agree to? Do you, do you have a, uh, a preference for one or the other or a prediction? So, Jack, this could be a whole episode of okay. itself <laughs> um, okay. because uh, the FDA does food and drug, and there's a lot of people who believe that the F needs to be taken out of the FDA because yeah. they need a separate food. Um, there's also 
the USDA, the FDA are, they regulate differently. Um, okay. USDA, I think does everything, um, and food and catfish. And then FDA does like the processing part kind of yeah. thing. It's, it's very overlapped and confusing. Um, I met some of these people recently and I just am in awe that they, even have understanding of what they're doing because like, wow, there's a lot going on here. Um, And then you have the department of Homeland security, which is trying to do an audit over all of them to understand that and how they fit into that process. Cause they're not a regulator. They're just going to be like, you know, the cheerleader and trying to get people to the right places and escalate the really bad stuff, like super contaminations and disasters of, what do they call it? Catastrophic disasters, which yeah. is just like, what does that look like? Um, it's the worst kind. Of, it's the worst kind of disaster. Yeah, I just... mean, I don't want to think about what that looks like with food because, like, JBS in itself was pretty much a catastrophe. So um, when that ransomware hit and they had the meat was all kind of hanging out, and I mean, it said meat meaning cows, like cows yeah. were chilling, and they didn't know what to do with them, and then you get stressed out meat, and there was no holding areas. I mean. Then you got runoff everywhere into the water stream. And as we learned earlier, it's one water cycle, people. So all that's going in. This is why you don't pee in a river. So <laughs> anyways, um, yeah, it's super interesting, too. Like, does it's interesting, right? Like, you kind of Absolutely. are like, oh, well, okay, why yep. doesn't the government have this together? That's because, like, 98% of the food industry is privately owned. Huh. And there's these yeah. big conglomerates that sit over it. Like there's only four major uh, egg houses essentially in the country, like companies. And everything else is subsidiaries of those. So you could imagine that attackers and hackers would want yeah. to go after these small little ones that just bring up to like the big boys or just be disruptive in general. And I'm thankful for right now. Um, I don't know. I hope this doesn't change anytime soon. But let's be real. We got to be prepared that they're financially motivated at the moment just to keep punching up to the big boys. But what happens when like there aren't and they just want to be destructive and hurt people. And what if we piss off a country, which clearly we do that quite often, but um, what happens there? I mean, we've seen it with Ukraine, you know, how they attacked their infrastructure first um, and said, they're making grain. They're making huge, huge amounts of grain that, that are sitting or not that that's exactly the problem, right? Yeah, oh, and then you can't have that product sit for that long because um, I learned something. There's there's different types of mites that go after certain types of like flour and things like that. Oh, I didn't know these things until I started working in the industry years ago. Um, yeah. And so you can't have products sit. And then if you have products sit, you have to have it constantly, you know, checked and things like that. Well, if if you're in the middle of a war, nobody's going to be checking it. You know, like yeah. they're going to get out of there. So that product's gone. Like it's there's nothing to it. Oh, so that farmer spent all that time growing. To only have it tossed that's like gutting to think about right because yeah. ultimately farming and ranching are just about balancing you just want to balance your books by the end of the day and nobody has respect for them until they sit there and watch this show like yellowstone which ends up just being murderous which okay there but or if you watch like uh the uk version of clarkson's farm you start to understand like there's a lot going on here. Like we have a lot going on and it, and then it kind of like romanticizes it, but it's still like, you're still walking in mud and, and you're still, you know, dealing with stuff. You nobody wants to go in and into a slaughterhouse and do cybersecurity. You know, nobody wants to stand at a computer covered in blood. Like that doesn't sound fun. I mean, I've did it at a bakery. Mine was covered in sugar dust. I'm grateful for that at least, but, um, oh, it's man. the same concept. Like we have to have people that are willing to go in and, make these decisions and help rather than just arbitrarily, here's your report, 
blessings upon you. Call us when you need help again. <laughs> I, I want to be that person that, that does more because, again, it goes back to basic humanness. Part of your project now is doing the podcast, the uh, Bites and Bites podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about the podcast and about uh, who you're going to have on it and what your plans are for it? Sure. Um, I actually have some really amazing people that are on it, and I've uh, managed to connect with some old colleagues as well that I haven't talked to in like 10 years. Uh, my first guest actually came out of the bakery company that I worked for. She's uh, cool. still there. Um, and we had this just beautiful conversation about you know, digital transformation and what that means and how ridiculous it can be and, and how, um, you know, people don't understand the culture of this because again, it's personal because you're ingesting this product. Um, I have some great guests lined up, um, some big names in the industry that you've eaten the food, but you don't know who they are, um, kind <laughs> of thing. And, um, I also have some professors coming on. I have some, uh, change management, digital transformation people, um, wow. I have some IT director that's coming on from an, a farm. Um, I have, I have some really, really cool people, uh, and more cool people actually, but a lot of them are in food defense quality for a supply chain. Um, a professor is, uh, actually very famous. He is the food safety icon. Um, he's a food star. He was actually part of the poison documentary on Netflix. He's a becoming a good friend of mine. He's a lovely man. Um, and then I'm going to have some cybersecurity people. Um, I think I'm going to have some people that are maybe a little controversial that are going to push some, you know, questions at me and at me back at them, uh, which would be very entertaining and hopefully enlightening because I'm trying to get the cybersecurity community to understand this is an issue. We need to care about it. And the second part is, is the food people are already like, yeah, we know that we need cybersecurity. Just where you been? Like, hurry up. Like, what are we going to do? Um, so it's actually really been interesting. And a lot of it comes down to is they're asking for education. They're asking for a lot of, hey, I need to understand. Um, and they're asking for a lot of uh, scenario trainings that include a recall or include a contamination or include a fraud or something like that that really ties it all together and getting the right people at the table. Because I'll tell you, the C-suites and the boards don't get it. I mean, we've already talked about this a lot in cybersecurity that there aren't enough cyber people on the boards. But now there's not enough people who understand digital transformation and what that does to food on the board. And it scares the living crap out of me because these are the people that are signing checks and these are the people that are making decisions that are going to impact the operator on the cutting line, you know, and that's the thing that that scares me. I I applaud that they want to be automated, you know, automate things like a cutting line, for example. But at the same time, at what what potential risk, right? Because we're not mitigating risk properly if we're not doing our due diligence with it. Because I can tell you right now, and I'm sure other people that are listening to this have found the weirdest ways to get into robot lines in factories yep. via file share or what just trumbling through a printer. You know, yep. um, printers suck. I will continue to <laughs> say that for the rest of my life. <laughs> they are awful. And every time someone has ever put one up in a factory environment, I was like right there, like reprimanding like a school teacher. Um, what do we so, need to print yeah. for? Why are we printing? Exactly. What are we doing? Yeah. And I'll tell you, the podcasting journey has been really incredible because I didn't realize how much I was going to learn. Like yeah. the knowledge set for me alone was, is invaluable. It's invaluable, and I'm so excited about it. I'm sure you both feel the same way. Every time you talk to a guest, it's like something new shakes out. 
Um, and yeah, but it's, it's strange to be a cybersecurity creator. Like that's a little weird. Like people keep putting that tag on me and I'm like, uh, I don't know. I mean, sure. I'm just trying to talk to people. That's really what I'm trying to do. Whatever will get people to listen. I, I think sometimes mm-hmm. like now I'm talking to you, I forget we're even recording it, which is usually a sign that I'm really interested, but just to kind of wrap up, um, this sort of segment here. You know, do you have maybe you can share with us a question that you're going to be planning on asking your guests regularly? What's a what's a question that you're going to kind of try to get at the heart of for your. Sure. Uh, actually, every guest gets asked the same iceberg question. What's okay. your favorite food and what's your favorite food memory? Because wow. I want people to make the connection that food is personal. I mean, yeah. they do. The guest does. They yeah. get it. Um, but you'd be surprised when people tell me, um, I have a guest who's actually coming on, who's lost their child to E. coli, uh, poisoning wow. from the Jack in the box, um, oh uh, incident, I should okay. say in Washington state. And he, he is so stoic about it. And so the way he's, he's like, I don't want, didn't want to waste my son's life. I wanted to do this. I wanted to be here for these, these moments. I want to help protect and, the fact that he's actually sat in a room with the CEO of Jack in the Box since then is like, I don't have the words to describe yeah. what these people do. They are so incredible and in how humble they are and what they, how they do things. So those are the two questions I always ask for sure. Because like I said, it humanizes the moment because I don't want it to be like, oh, security controls and the Like it's boring. Like we all know. Or, or tell me the worst security incident that's ever happened to your company. I really want to hear it. Like I'm yeah. not going to do that. If they want to talk about it, cool. But I'm not going to, you know, push it out of them. I really just want to know what they do and yeah. why they do it. Um, Example would be I had a guest, uh, my next guest actually, is talking about how chocolate and ice cream isn't actually really chocolate. It's a different kind of chocolate. Huh. Mind blown in that moment. I was like, wait, what? I need to get an ice cream scientist on here right now. Like, I've got to listen to this because I'm excited about figuring out the answer to that one. I just always yeah, thought it was. Yeah, It's not just chocolate it, that gets melted and mixed in. It's something else. Oh, man. No, it's not. It's kind of like when I worked at the bakery company, they had a, a machine that would suspend the, the batter in the um, for a moment while they put in the blueberries. It had to be like eight blueberries or something like that. But it okay. had to be suspended in order to make sure you got the eight blueberries. Otherwise, it would just be like a clump like you make it at home. Got it. And uh, there was so much money and so much engineering they went into that machine. It was like the crucial part of that particular machine, but nobody knew that because nobody talked to the engineers. So when you talk to the engineers, they're like, oh, yeah, this is this is section critical right here, you know? Um, and I'm like, is this internet connected? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, let's not, let's make sure. Yeah. Let's make sure it's not a problem. Uh, Kristen, uh, we're going to take a short break now, but uh, we're going to return and we're going to have our lifestyle polygraph. So please stay with us. You're listening to the No Password Required Podcast. We cover cybersecurity and a lot of other stuff. Welcome back. As many of you know, the Lifestyle Polygraph is a test used by the federal government to determine if a person is worthy of learning some of our nation's most important secrets. Here, we use it for slightly lower stakes. To determine whether our guests can join our fantasy cybersecurity squad. Kristen, are you ready for the lifestyle polygraph? I'm ready. All right. We'll get started with one of my favorites. The best thing my parents gave me was blank. 
They let me keep my innocence for a lot longer than I think most people could. I became, I was allowed to be a kid for a long time. Um, I didn't have to grow up immediately. And even in the parts that I did grow up quickly on, I don't think was detrimental to me. I think it was very helpful to be an adult. Um, so I, I thanked my father actually recently for that. I said, thank you for letting me keep my innocence for a long time. Um, that I didn't, the world wasn't so abrasive um, right away. You know, and then I was able to discover it. And it's pretty incredible thinking the fact that my father's a fireman or was a fireman. And he, we would talk about calls and, you know, ambulance runs and things like that. So I wasn't desensitized. I mean, I was desensitized in some ways, but um, the fact that they allowed me to keep my innocence and my imagination, I think has served me so well as an adult. Kristen, given your sort of interest in animals and nature, were you outside a lot as a kid? Yeah. Um, I was one of the last generations of feral kids, um, (laughs) you know, pre-internet. And um, I know a lot of people don't know what that is anymore, but we uh, we went outside and we played with sticks and leaves and created these magical places that, you know, um, I used to, we had a huge, I shouldn't say huge. We had a, an acre worth of land in the backyard and being in the center of a small town in new England was kind of like kind of bougie if you will. But um we used to, we had a zip line and we would race in like Peter Pan and like, you know, fairy dust with like crumpled leaves. And like, there was these whole complex stories and all the neighborhood kids got into it. And there'd be like certain sections and rooms that would be denoted by different things. And yeah, we rode our bikes all the time. And um, yeah, it was great. I mean, you were out, you just come home after dark, you know, come home when the sun sets and that would never happen nowadays, of course. But um yeah. I mean, I remember skating my knee on my bike for the first time and rode a half a mile home with like this bloody <laughs> knee. And I was like, so proud of myself. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I loved being outside. And I, I have such a fascination with wildlife. I probably know more bird species than I tell people. And I also I'm wildlife certified through the National Zoo. So I know oh, way wow. more about squirrels than I think most humans should know. Um, which actually it's quite informative when you're just randomly somewhere and you just say something, people were like, wait, what? How did you know that? And I'm like, yeah, gray squirrels are the only squirrels that are black and, and white. And people were like, wait, but they're black. What? It's, it's still a gray squirrel. Oh, <laughs> weird. What about a red squirrel? I'm like, no, that's a red squirrel. Those things are jerks. <laughs> but it's just, it's so... I just couldn't imagine a life where I was just trapped behind my PC, but now like I have that life because I'm here and we, the <laughs> pandemic and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I loved being outside. I adored it. If the goal were maximum professional satisfaction, other than protecting the water supply, what food item would you choose to protect? On a personal level, pineapples which take a lot of water. So I'm ultimately I'm helping the water supply, um, <laughs> but no pineapples. I don't, I've just always loved them. I don't know why it's weird. They don't, thing, but. they don't look like they should be so delicious from the outside. That's why it's like, it's just an awesome, it's like a food you would find in an alien planet, but then it's so gorgeous and delicious inside, right? It just doesn't seem to match up. I, that's, I just love that incongruity about it. And also like who thought to eat that? Yeah. You know, I I often wonder that when we're when I'm having food in general, like who thought to put these ingredients together? Like um, my birthday this year, um, we went out to dinner and I had caviar and coconut ice cream together, which sounds super expensive. It wasn't that bad. Relax, everybody. But it was that salty sweet play. 
And it's probably why I like pineapple on pizza. Yes, I am that one. All right. Yep. Everybody come for me in the comments because <laughs> it's that salty sweetness. Sometimes I'll put bacon on it. I mean, again, you got to extend the salty sweetness. Um, I don't know what it is about pineapple. It just sort of, I don't know, makes me happy to eat it. Is that weird? Like probably weird, but that's how I see it. And I've been to a few uh, pineapple fields um, and that was amazing to watch that as well. They're like now, bush. I- Oh, what are they, like bushes? They're like they don't grow the way you think they do, right? They're kind of like, like little trees, I guess okay. is how it describes you. Like yeah. bushy trees. I don't know. That's <laughs> we're. I'm sure somebody's listening on an agriculture side, and they're just rolling their heads. Whatever. <laughs> you guys are dumb. Like I'm sorry. I, I I haven't grown pineapples in my life, but I know you can grow them inside certain houses and climates now. Like you can yeah. grow them in Florida, obviously. Yeah, I've got one in my garden. Like, yeah. So. They're like a weird little plant. You can grow, you can even get them and ship them to people. I actually looked at one the other day and I was like, do I want to grow a pineapple? It's I'm already growing of, enough it's herbs It's kind of fun to stuff. watch it, but it takes forever. Like it's, uh, it's like a two year process. I'm told that like, I don't know if I can make that commitment. Yeah. Like my grandfather actually did it. Like he cut the top off of the one, like from the grocery store. And then, you know, you just plant the, the top of it and it will grow. Like ours is growing, but it's so like it's it's going to be a while. I'm looking at it grow, and it's healthy and looks good, but it's going to be. I'm not going to harvest that baby tomorrow. That's for sure. It's it's oh it's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I will say though, um, a close second would be a passion fruit. By the way, because um, I was horseback riding in Hawaii, and again, this sounds really extreme, but here it is. Here's my life. It's awesome. I was, I was horseback riding like in backcountry in Hawaii on Kauai, and. Um, we were stopped because there was um, passion fruit blossoms, which passion fruit grows from the blossom, like okay. most fruit. And it was amazing. Like this, this particular flower was so fragrant and amazing. And I realized that I had killed the passion fruit, you know, like it was never going to grow from the flower because she picked it and handed it to me. But I, and we walked down a little further and there was a bunch of passion fruits and we had some, I were just riding horses and wow. like the middle of nowhere, Kauai and, um, my horse's name was Thor, and that's the only thing I remember about that yeah. whole ride. Uh, and he was crazy. So, like, good that's times. A, that's a top five horse name, but two, just as an aside, Thor. He looked right. like Thor. Yeah. He was, yeah, he looked like, yeah, I can see why they named him that. He, he was a big baby, too, at the same time. That's a great start. I'm, I'm horseback riding in Hawaii, right? That's a great structure. Yeah, George, yeah. George Clooney's there with me, and The Rock is there too. And we're, of course, we're we're looking for passion fruits. What, are we, what, are we doing? what is your favorite way to waste time? Um, two ways. Uh, I love I love to read, um, which is hilarious because I hated reading when I was a kid, and now I like reading as an adult. And uh, probably the second thing would be gaming. I still game. Um, I've been gaming since, I don't know, since computers really allowed me to. And when I was hacking into my dad's computer to make, you know, <laughs> sneak onto Leisure Suit Larry back in the day, and, <laughs> you know, and, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's like mindless gaming. I don't, I'm used to be hardcore, um, but I cannot like, I just can't. And, but it's, it's something that I really just, it's mindless and it's nice. Uh, but also it gives me commonality with my stepkids. So it helps me talk about what, how they feel about a certain game is coming out or what they're doing on the current game. Cause I understand the systems and, um, I can, uh, at least speak the speak, you know, 
Um, it's it's funny though because my fiance wasn't a gamer, so I'll say something like there's something at the door or whatever i'll say ink which means incoming you know or you know and he's like what are you talking about i'm like oh never mind don't think it's fine um but then again he says a lot of things that i don't i don't particularly understand either because he was in the royal air force and i don't understand any of that either so um basically the entire time we're here everybody's confused because you know life but no seriously um i really have fallen back in love with reading i think i'm on um my 21st book since june i just it's what i do it gets me away from this you know and it gets me away from technology and i can just sit down and go into a fantasy world of whatever's happening and um i don't have to think about anything else for you know that time and the beauty is i read on a kindle and it tells you how much longer the chapter is so I'm like, oh, I've got seven minutes. I could do yeah. that. And then it turns into 20. And you're like, oh, wait, this next yeah. one is only five minutes. I love that. Yeah. Yay to Kindle for that. Because, oh, and I feel like I'm being productive. Like, I could get through five yeah. chapters and it's only going to take 30 yeah. minutes. Like, <laughs> it's like the gamification of making yourself better. Like, it really is. Like, I, I started using a Kindle right at the beginning of the pandemic. I'd had it for like a year before I hadn't picked the thing up. But then started to be a pandemic. And now it's like one more chapter. One more chapter. Right. And then all yeah, of a sudden you find five hours have passed and it's one in the morning. Yeah. Oh, exactly. I have that problem too. I read when I'm going to bed and it's nice because you have it, it's lit. You don't have to like bother your partner. And I just, I'm like, oh crap, it's 1am. Like, oh no, did I, how much longer do I got of this book? I think I'm almost done with it. Oh, I'll just push through. It's fine. Or I'm like, oh, wait till morning. I'll save it. Cause I don't be really like a happy morning or whatever, unless you hate the end of the book and then it destroys your day. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, actually reading at night has really helped because before I was like a doom scroller, right? Like we all did it during the pandemic. Yeah. We just constantly were looking and switching to reading has been so much better for my sleep and like me as a person. Um, I wake up happier. I'm I'm much more engaged um, during the day, I think. And because I can look forward to reading again, right? Something to like a reward for like all the good stuff I did all day long. I like that you're considered a thought leader in cybersecurity and in business. Now, I realize that there's no specific process for a title like that. How did you know when you would climb the thought leader mountain? I think when somebody told me I was a thought leader, to be truthful, because um, I kind of looked at them like, you you don't want to know what's going on in my head. Like, <laughs> you're, are you crazy? But then I realized that they found value in me and my thoughts. And that's when I knew I had made it. Um, I had uh, a woman approach me at a, um, a woman in ICS, um, evening at the S4 conference last year. And granted there was alcohol involved, but I'm still, (laughs) I'm still going to put this here. And she walked up and she goes, you really inspire me. She's like, and she, she went on this like, like long conversation with me. And it was, and I just, and it wasn't just like my professional life. It was like my personal life too. Cause I'm not afraid to share things that are going on because I think we have to humanize what we do, yeah. especially in the food industry. Um, and it was just this moment of, Oh God, people are watching me. Holy crap. I guess I do have value. Um, and I get reminded of that quite often. Um, and I, I often wonder when I'll become desensitized to that. Like when it will just become part of the normal routine for me, just for people to say, Hey, I really valued what you're doing. And I found value today, but I don't want it to. I always yeah. want it to hit me like right in the, right in the chest, yeah. right at the hearts, the heartstrings for sure. It's I, a responsibility um, too, right? It That's really the, is. You don't want to lose that. Yeah. And I think 
I try to remind myself too, that people don't actually know the whole situation. Um, I don't know their whole situation. And I think that when, especially as a leader, because it's a thought leader, the leader part, leaders have to make tough choices sometimes. And leaders have to do things that really just are uncomfortable. Um, I've unfortunately had to terminate friends of mine before, and I've um, been terminated by friends and other things like that in my career. And being told that I am too much sometimes is hard. Um, And I think as a leader, you have to remind yourself how would I want to be treated in this situation? And that's kind of how I look at it as. So when someone says to me like, oh, you're awesome. This is great. Thank you so much. Like, and I always respond back. I'm like, you're awesome. Thanks. You know, like, this is good. I love this dialogue. Let's keep going. Um, And that's, that's amazing. So last one, what skill or hobby have you always wanted to pick up, but time or weird circumstances have not allowed you to do it? Uh, finally learning Japanese probably would be one thing I've sort of regretted. Um, well, actually, no, I probably fully regret that, but I just haven't had time to sit down and study it because it literally has to be studied. It's not just like picking up um, any of the other like romantic languages that kind of all mean or close to each other in mm-hmm. terms of speech. Uh, that is an entirely different skill set altogether. Yeah, um, it would have served me well. I would have been able to understand what was going on when I was in all those factories in Japan um, or to deal with different culture issues. And it would have been nice. Kristen, how is Japan doing versus the U.S. in food safety? What's different about their approach? So actually, uh, it's funny you bring that up because Japan just had a huge milk contamination. It just happened. Somebody had accidentally slipped in or something happened in processing. Um, This is just from what I've read. So if anybody knows better than me, please, God, tell me. Um, But they was unpasteurized and pasteurized met, and that's not supposed to happen. So basically raw milk got into the the pasteurized milk and it got sent out to school kids. Now, nobody's gotten like, nobody's passed, nobody's died from it or anything. like. Everybody's just gotten really sick. Um, So they are still struggling like we are. I guess is what I'll say. I don't know if that was an intentional um, contaminant. I don't know any of those details. Obviously, that's sort of like asking someone to tell you the details of a a security breach, literally. Um, But for now, they are um, they are learning just like the rest of the world. You know, Um, and like I said, it's always humans that muck it up. It's the same thing with cybersecurity, right? Our risks are always human related. It's not just the tech. I mean, tech's not going to get sentient and be like, I create virus. Like, it's not going to do that, at least not right now. Not in our lifetimes, for sure. <laughs> but um, I don't – it's it's so frustrating because some of this is so avoidable. And this is why I say that you can mitigate food protection issues with cybersecurity controls. Like, access control is the easiest one to talk about. You yeah. want to access control the allergen areas, peanut versus non-peanut, right? Raw milk stays over here. Pasteurized milk stays over here. You can do that with access control, Right whether it's a system or a door. Um, and I think yeah. this is why we need to partner with people. Uh, yeah. But yeah, no, Japan is uh, pretty amazing. And I feel bad that that happened because I'm quite sure that was devastating because milk is milk's important to people, you know, it's good for kids. Yeah. So yeah. Um, wow. And we're, we're all still learning. <laughs> well, Rex, what do you think? Um, would Kristen make the cybersecurity squad after the, Oh, 100%. I, I, right. Like she said, I, you, you want somebody around that can keep your food protected. Um, I know I like to eat. Uh, Jack, mm. 
I know you like to eat. So yeah, like she's, she's an absolute lock. So yeah. Welcome Wonderful. to the team, Kristen. We're, we're thrilled to have you here. Awesome. Do I get like a t-shirt or something? Cause that would be really cool. Funny, <laughs> funny you mentioned that. Yes. Uh, and I will get with you <laughs> after the show to send you our, our thank you package. Kristen, thank you. Thank you for joining us. If our listeners want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Probably the easiest is LinkedIn. I know that's cheesy, but like we're all on it. So, and I have a very memorable last name. So just go ahead and like get to me there. Um, you could check out my website. Same as my company name. Uh, my email is my first name at my company name, which is Anson Sage. Um, yeah. Podcast, please listen to my podcast. Bites and Bites. Um, we're on everything, just like this is on everything because, you know, distribution. And uh, yeah, you can reach me there. Um, you can carry your pigeons. I mean, if you want to show up at my house, fine. But if you're showing up at my house, please bring wine because I don't really want you not to, you know, <laughs> be in my house unless you bring me a gift. <laughs> so. Cons, I don't know this person. Pros, they brought some wine. So. We're good. Well, thank you so much, Chris. We really appreciate you coming on the show. It was great to talk to you. We learned a ton. Thanks for having me. It's been great. That brings us to the end of the show. But first, Rex, what did you learn today? Oh, Jack, I learned a lot of things. I learned that this is a lot harder than it looks. I learned that I appreciate you and Kaylee even more than I appreciated you yesterday. Uh, And I also learned that you can become a thought leader once somebody values your opinion. Like I had no idea. I thought it was more complicated than that. I thought there was a form that you had to fill out or, or <laughs> something. I thought there was, you know, a, a more formal procedure to it. But I guess, you know, once you are valued by somebody, you can be a thought leader. So I like that. Uh, and also a willingness to make difficult decisions and, uh, and willingness to just throw your opinions out there uh, are certainly helpful too. Uh, well, I learned today that if monkeys are attacking your electrical wires, that you need to locate the alpha, capture the alpha, and then just relocate them a couple miles away. Easier, easier said than done. Easier said than done, I think. Uh, but maybe what I'll do it in, in the work environment is if I'm having trouble with an alpha team member, I'll just not invite him or her to the Zoom meeting. And uh, we'll proceed proceed a pace. So there's always applications for this stuff in, in, in the usual work environment. Well, for the entire no password required team, I'm Jack Clabby. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you for listening to the No Password Required Podcast. You can find us on social media at No Password Pod. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the No Password Required Podcast. And if you know someone who might like it, Please share it with them. The show is produced by Cyber Florida. And a special thank you goes out to our friends at Carlton Fields. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website, cyberflorida.org slash pod. All opinions expressed by the No Password Required podcast participants are their own and do not exclusively represent the views and opinions of Cyber Florida.